Gone are the days of guns, guards, and gates being the primary focus. That is antiquated uh, and it should never be brought up. Uh, this is now about risk management and strategy and how do you implement risk management processes into a business operation and that takes business acumen. Uh, so the, the role for the CSO is, is changing forever because they have to align their, their security strategies, be it cyber, physical or health, to the overall business strategies of the organization. And that's gonna be critically important. And that now brings a value proposition back to the role of the chief security officer. Rather than being just a cost center for the organization, you're actually a critical function because you're gonna help sustain operations moving forward. Welcome to the Digital Threshold Podcast, where we explore all the ways modern venues and facilities are reimagining their arrival experience. Today is episode five, the fifth and last episode of the year. We wanted to take an opportunity to look back on 2020 and think about the lessons from 2020 and how they influence our plans and our activities for 2021. Over the last few weeks, we've had opportunities to speak with venues who have been reopening throughout the year. We've had opportunities to speak with the CTO of uh, Motorola Solutions, who shared some of the emerging technologies coming out in 2021. And we did some research and shared the results of that research in terms of how people are feeling about coming back, the kinds of things they think about relative to public health and safety and COVID protocols, as well as physical security protocols. Um, today, I'm very lucky to have two guests from Teneo, um, Courtney Adante and Jonathan Wackrow. I've known Courtney and Jonathan for a few years now, our paths have crossed at different clients. And we were looking at different research and how, thinking about how best to frame up 2021. And Courtney and Jonathan are certainly thought leaders in this, in this space. They've published some material around it. And we thought it would be really helpful to talk with them for about an hour and get their impressions. So Courtney and John, welcome to the show. We appreciate having you here. Good. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So the question I really want to sort of spend the time talking about is, the lessons in 2020, and there were many, and there were a lot of ups and downs, and there was a lot of resiliency. How can we take those lessons and focus them and prepare us for 2021? Before we do that, I want to get just a little bit of background on you. So, Courtney, you have gone and spent about 15 years in the financial services industry. Something happened, and you decided to pivot into risk management, and, and you spent about seven years at, at Teneo. So, I'm really interested to hear sort of how did what you did in financial services prepare you and what drove you to pivot into what you've been doing today? Yeah, well, thanks again, uh, Neil, for having me and for having John, my colleague, on. Uh, we're, we're thrilled to talk with you. So you're right. I started my career in financial services um, uh, right out of uh, college, actually, and it wasn't what I had anticipated I was going to do. But uh, fast forward 15 years working at trading firms and exchanges, and uh, and then I joined Accenture in their financial services consulting practice and um, kind of ended up over the years with Accenture in the financial risk management uh, practice and, uh, you know, helping clients understand from a financial risk perspective, how to navigate, uh, you know, especially within investment banks and trading firms and so forth. Um, in 2008 and 2009, that became a real hot topic. And with the rollout of all these different types of compliance programs and so forth, we did very well at Accenture during that time. Um, 
One of the individuals that I worked for at uh, Accenture went to Teneo sometime around the 2012-2013 timeframe. And he reached out to me and said, hey, we're doing some really cool things at this company, Teneo. It's a CEO advisory services firm. He was just starting the management consulting division within Teneo and asked if I wanted to come over and work with him. And once I met some of the folks that work inside Teneo in the strategic communications division and the capital uh, advisory division, I, I was all about it and and went over to, to start the management consulting division within Teneo. But it wasn't traditionally focused on uh, investment banks or the financial services industry. It was cross-sector. And so I was working on a lot more business strategy type work uh, for a few years. And then... Our CEO uh, convinced uh, Commissioner Bratton from, you know, former NYPD commissioner and LAPD chief to uh, come over to risk and and start the risk division within Teneo. And um, Commissioner Bratton joined Teneo and started up the risk division. And soon thereafter, I I started working with Commissioner on really trying to formalize the commercial offering for, for risk within Teneo, so risk advisory. But with Commissioner Bratton, the focus for risk wasn't financial risk. It was physical security, cybersecurity, counterterrorism, uh, these types of initiatives. And, and here I am. But I have to say, probably one of the, the, the biggest reasons I'm here uh, with Teneo and doing this type of work is because of my colleagues like John Wackrow, who you'll hear from in, in a minute in terms of his background. But I, I have a management consulting background, but I am surrounded by these incredible security professionals who have made it an absolute joy. And so I'm glad that I've kind of done this career shift and I'm doing what I'm doing today. That's That's great. And I'm sure the background both in financial risk and management consulting helps you bring some of those tools and that thinking to physical security risk, right? There's a lot of sort of commonality and how to think through risk assessments and mitigation and, exactly. and planning and, and resiliency, right? Yep. So John, um, you spent a lot of time in DC and all over as part of the Secret Service, protecting individuals and groups of individuals. And then you've moved over, right? I mean, there's a, a, a potentially natural sort of migration over, but what did you learn what did you what are the tools what are some of the perspectives you had from protecting an individual a very important individual that now informs the way you think about advising fortune 500 companies and their executive teams about risk management Anil, thanks again for this opportunity. Um, and to answer your question, there's there there is a there's a lot of commonality between risk management within the government and risk management in the private sector. And the 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 one learning lesson for me is once I stepped into the private sector, uh, resource allocation and how you actually implement uh, mitigation uh, becomes much more focused because there's a return on uh, that investment that's necessary uh, within the within a corporate structure. In the government, I would identify threats and vulnerabilities and then have nearly unlimited resources to mitigate that threat. Uh, so whether it was manpower, technology, uh, anything that I needed to do, especially around the president, however I needed to mitigate those vulnerabilities, I, I had it at my fingertip. You don't have that. So you have to be more creative uh, in the private sector and really understand what are the threats that are facing your organization, the vulnerabilities that those threats will leverage to then put forth a mitigation strategy not just a one-time implementation, a a real strategy moving forward 
to satisfy various stakeholders and ensure that there's a return on that investment long term. So I think that you know while there is commonality between you know government risk management and and private sector in in, in specific domains how you actually implement it uh, in the private sector is significantly different. And, and I think that's a real challenge. It's a challenge for me, uh, and I, I know my uh, my colleagues as well, but the challenge is actually the opportunity. It's something we love to do every day. That's great. So th- this, uh, this sets the stage very well for what we want to talk about today. So let's just spend a few minutes talking about 2020. It's been an up and down year. We all have seen it. Um, and really thinking about what happened in 2020 and how that shapes 2021, right? We've seen the vaccine starting to roll out, the trucks rolling out of uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, and people getting inoculated. We've seen, uh, at least it it seems, a little bit of an uptick in violence and physical security events uh, recently uh, based on news that we've seen. But as you think about 2020 and then as it lays out for 2021, what what do you see coming in 2021? Are we going to we hit March and April and everybody's inoculated and it's back to 2019, or is there a bit of a hangover from 2021, uh, 2020 that moves into next year? I can st- take a stab at it. And I think it's important uh, that we you know, take a, a moment to reflect on what we just went through uh, in terms of professional security professionals, consultants, advisors this year. And I think uh, some of the way the ways in which we work with our clients and advise them will continue on into 2021. And what I mean by that is uh, I think John and I found ourselves all throughout the year, starting in March when the initial lockdown orders began in the United States, uh, really trying to figure out day to day, week to week, what it was that our clients were going to need in terms of security advisory services. And uh, and we were learning, as everyone else was, every single day based on public health guidance and new developments with, with the pandemic. And it really forced us as consultants and advisors to think on our feet and spend the weekends researching and seeing what was going to be relevant on Monday and Tuesday of the following week for our clients and really try to build solutions on the fly. And it really, we were very fortunate. It worked. We had two pandemic experts in our team that guided us as consultants along the way. It helped us navigate all of that information and then used our security backgrounds and, you know, our management consulting backgrounds to advise clients. And, you know, that was, you know, that was all throughout the year with minimal, we just, we didn't know what was going on. And, And every single day, again, we were learning, you know, as things developed. I think that mode of operating, particularly as advisors and consultants, is going to continue into 2021. We, the vaccine is starting to roll out. Yes, it's, it's hitting uh, um, the streets and people are getting vaccinated as we speak. But we, there are still all kinds of unknowns, I think, in terms of uh, side effects and impacts and how this whole rollout process will take place. So I think, what, I, I think John and I will be continuing to operate in that mode of trying every week to figure out and get ahead of, of developments so that we can properly advise our clients. And so that's just in terms of, of supporting clients around the topics of risk management. Um, I think the way we do things will kind of continue uh, in that, um, you know, on the fly, let's try to be proactive as best we can type of solution development. But I think that there are certain themes that 2021 will bring about um, that, you know, from a security perspective that um, we are seeing emerge now or, you know, might um, need some time to, to resolve. And I, and I know John's got a really good perspective on kind of the what's happening now um, and what will stay the same and what we anticipate will change in the security space for 2021. And I, John, I'd love you to love for you to talk through that because you've got a really unique way of, of putting it in perspective. No, thanks, Courtney. And, and actually, I just want to take a step back. I mean, I think you know for all risk practitioners. 
at the close of 19, as they started planning for you know 2020, they had a, a blueprint that that was laid out in front of them and how they're going to execute on that. And now I you know looking back, I'm just reminded by the you know the famous quote from Mike Tyson: "You know everyone has a plan until they're punched in the face, <laughs> and then then what do you do?" And I think that everyone was punched in the face early on in in 2020, and those who were successful were able to identify the threats. Uh, that we're now facing the organization, you know, really uh, based upon the virus and being able to pivot quickly into uh, putting in short-term and long-term mitigation within their organization. And again, we can talk. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in the uh, later on. But it really is 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 building a, a model of resilience and agility throughout an organization to be able to sustain moving forward, regardless of what threats that that you face. So there were a lot of interesting challenges that came. Uh, co-joined throughout 2020 with the uh, with the virus in the as it started to go globally. I mean, this is something that we saw starting in in uh, China, came through Europe, and then ended up on uh, on our shores. And really, I think it was remarkable. And really preparing for this call, I started looking back at how did how did we as Teneo. Uh, how do we start sourcing information? And there's email traffic back and forth between Courtney, myself, and our medical advisors dating back to the January 17th of 2020 about this virus in Asia. And our first alert uh, and communication around coronavirus went out on the 23rd of January of, of this year. So I think that we were able to get ahead, and that's because we have built a model of you know, threat identification, and then being able to quickly convert for our clients into a uh, uh, the mitigation strategies that they needed moving forward. But I'll, I'll be very honest with you, through the month of February, there weren't a lot of people listening to us because everyone thought that this would just, you know, resolve itself. And as we know, it didn't resolve itself. Then other things compounded throughout the year, you know, with, you know, the issues around uh, the, the George Floyd matter uh, in, in uh, June of this year. Uh, we saw, you know, emerging issues around criminal justice uh, and social justice reform. The calls for that really invoked a lot of different emotions across the country, led to, uh, you know, civil unrest in, in large cities, uh, you know, which actually persists today. We saw the, the, the impact of the economy really affect uh, rising uh, crime rates throughout the United States. And then there was this unexpected impact of uh, mental health and the impact that the, the long-sustained unemployment, economic uh, depression, uh, you know, civil unrest, the, the health concerns, really it was taxing for uh, a, a majority of individuals. So mental health concerns really you know, rose up and needed to be addressed, not from an individual standpoint, but actually organizations needed to start you know, taking care of uh, their own employees and in, in, in focusing on their own mental health. And I think that those challenges, they're going to carry in through 2021. And, you know, when Courtney and I were, were really preparing for, for this call, we said, okay, what, what stays the same? What, what continues? And really, you know, there are things like criminal justice uh, and social justice reform. Those are going to continue. We have a, essentially an unstable economy moving into 2021. But really, what's old is now going to be new again. What I mean by that 
Anil, you had, you mentioned this uh, earlier. We're starting to see the rise of active shooters again. Why? Because everyone's coming back together. We're starting to see a significant rise in asymmetrical attacks against network services and critical infrastructure. You know, the uh, the recent breach of FireEye is going to have a, a significant impact uh, throughout 2021. And one thing that 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 I am you know really focused on is where we saw you know, in, in years past extremism just rising up and, and being a catalyst for potential violent acts, what I see moving forward is uh, extremism actually uh, being the justification for violent acts uh, almost on an institutionalized basis. So that is something that risk practitioners really must be focused in on. Interesting. So, John, you've been talking about a series of things that emerged in 2020, the pandemic and uh, the civil unrest re- relative to George Floyd and a series of other variables that have sort of changed the risk profile. Mm-hmm. And then as you've talked about, and Courtney, you've talked about being very agile and resilient to those risks, right? So it, it, based on what you're saying, it sounds like there will continue to be some of those risks in 2021 and probably some risks we don't anticipate, perhaps. And so we need to think about how to track those as you described in your sort of early January, uh, early emails in the year, and then how to respond to them. So how, let's just focus on the tracking piece. So whether it's the initial email on the pandemic or it's the incident of um, somebody getting shot in the news, right? It starts with just a clip. It starts with a as, as a small thing and it grows large. How should organizations think about estimating what's really going to have an impact, right? The, the news is not just about those two things. It's about you know hundreds and hundreds of different things and not everything rises to the level where organizations need to think about sort of mitigating that risk. How do they sift through and filter, you know, what might have a real impact on their organizations and they need to think and plan to? John, you you really are driving a lot uh, with some of our, our team members uh, around the, the risk monitoring and risk intelligence. And I think um, I'm going to say a few words and then I would love John to kind of talk there. I'm going to keep throwing Johnny's baseballs. But, uh, um, but you know, there, there are so many um, really kind of innovative things that we've done in our team related to risk intelligence and risk monitoring and, you know, leveraging the data analysis with expert guidance and expert um, critique of the intel and, and contextualizing it. But that's something that we've really built out within our own division to advise clients. And uh, we're also, so that we can advise clients, but we're also teaching clients how to build those types of capabilities in-house. And I think, uh, you know, based on your question, I think risk intel and and putting a real structure around that for companies is going to be a a critical factor into 2021. Yeah. John, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, obviously, I can't agree more. Um, the but for security practitioners, risk practitioners moving into 2021, they have to be laser focused on uh, really the TVRA process, the threat, vulnerability, and risk analysis process for their own enterprise. And everything that it goes into that modeling, they have to be uh, fully aware of you know the second and third order of consequences. That's one thing that you know we we lost sight of in 1819 that led to problems into 20. A lot of times I think that the the aperture for risk you know over the last few years actually collapsed a little bit. We weren't focusing on uh, the entire spectrum of things that could you know, impact our organization. I remember, you know, Dr. Jerry Hauer, one of our, our senior advisors, talking about global pandemics back mm-hmm. at the end of 18, early 19. 
and really people like they dismissed it and they dismissed it because they were made a lot of assumptions about global health and uh, the ability for uh, viruses and, and bacteria to be addressed prior to impacting uh, businesses in, in the United States. And that was that that was a false assumption. Uh, and it, and it, it really proved to be true in 2020. But again, you have to start thinking about how all of these different things, how all of these different threat domains impact your organization and you know not only how they impact the organization in terms of consequence uh, and severity, but how is your organization able to respond? And you know you you shouldn't have a reactive model. You should be thinking about all of these things in advance and start wire diagramming the response that the the organization should have, whether that's around health security, physical security, cybersecurity, risk management. But to be informed by all that, I go back to what Courtney said, to be informed by that, it really is the monitoring capabilities. It's understanding the over the horizon awareness of what's coming and what's going to impact your organization. Yeah, very helpful. So so let's 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 do that. Let's spend a little time now talking about resiliency, the infrastructure, the thinking, the processes. You both have spent a lot of time on this. I had an opportunity to read some of the material you put together. I think it's it's incredibly valuable. Um, and it's valuable not just for the largest organizations. It's valuable for a performing arts center in Omaha, Nebraska, just as much as it is to a global company as well. So can you talk a little bit about sort of that framework, and then we'll sort of dive into different uh, areas and aspects of it? I'll start with this, um, and what I want to kind of add to um, something that John just said when he mentioned health security. Uh, one of the things that we have been uh, discussing with our clients, and uh, we talk internally within Teneo, uh, all companies I think are have been you know awoken or have woken up to the fact this year that um, security in 2021 will have to incorporate health security as a uh, another pillar of security risk management within organizations. So not just physical security, not just cybersecurity anymore, but also health security. And along with that comes a whole new dom domain of subject matter expertise, um, medicine and pandemic and uh, epidemic and, and public health emergencies that are, are not traditionally the part of uh, uh, most companies or um, even under the domain or consideration necessarily of the chief security officer. So I think as, as companies start to build those structures for risk management into 2021, it will have to integrate all three. And that, so, uh, you know, these, these risk management processes, those TVRA, threat vulnerability risk assessment processes, and building out risk registries, and then building out response programs will have to include health security. And I think um, when we talk about, well, what's going to be new and different in 2021, I think that will be key. And we are seeing more and more companies not in the healthcare space hiring a chief medical officer uh, as part of the, the C-suite or part of the executive leadership team, um, you know, airlines and real estate development companies. And that's that's significant. And that's, that's very interesting and very telling about how companies, um, number one, were caught off guard, not having that expertise, but have now prioritized it uh, on a go-forward basis. No, that's really interesting, Courtney. I was talking to some of our, our um, customers in New York that are cultural institutions, and they have done a version of that, which is they have tapped in as a group, almost as a co-op to medical professionals from New York Presbyterian Hospital or from Mount Sinai to get that level of expertise. It's back to this intelligence question, right? How do you get intelligence and get informed 
to understand a situation and make decisions around it. So it's really interesting to hear that people are reaching out to bring these chief medical officers either in-house or access them uh, in some particular way. You know, to your, your prior question, and, and John, if you can dig into this a little, just because, um, Anil, you had asked the, the structures and the processes and the methodologies that we expect chief risk officers and chief security officers to focus on into next year, it's that resilience planning and that risk management from, you know, kind of the, the internal, how does the company work, what are the corporate assets, all that kind of thing. Um, you know, John and I spent a lot of time talking about that, and I think the methodology and kind of the, the way that companies will think about that will be really dif- need to be differentiated. And, you know, John, do you, could you talk about that for a time? No, I'm not, almost like taking No, you. this is good. This is good. We're just passing it around. I want, yeah. I want John to talk about it because it's really important. And I think, uh, and, and I want to get, curious to get your reactions in now, because this is something that we, you know, we, we think is important for next year. So I, I think that when I think about this and the, what we advise our clients is, you know, it re- really two things. We start talking about agility and then, you know, introducing a formalized uh, process of resiliency within their organization is what does that actually mean to your organization? It shouldn't just be lip service. It, it should be really well thought out as a, as a new domain. I mean, I think that, you know, every uh, regulated entity in the United States has a, has a business continuity plan. Well, what did that mean in February, March, April of this year? I mean, a lot of those organizations took it just solely from an IT standpoint. They weren't thinking about all of their uh, business operations sections. And then, you know, a lot of times in crisis management, people think of, you know, really conflate crisis management and incident management in terms of timing. So we're, we're still in the middle of this crisis. So sustainability uh, long-term uh, through, through a crisis uh, was really you know, not anticipated by many organizations. So you have to take a step back and say, what does resiliency mean to my organization, my, my goals, uh, uh, you know, operational goals that, that we have? So that's first and foremost. And then two, who governs that? You know, there, there needs to be a structure, uh, a, a, a single steward uh, that is going to uh, be the oversight of this. And I think that this is a moment of inflection for, you know, security practitioners, the, you know, with the introduction of health security concerns, the same way that, you know, about 10 years ago, introduction of cybersecurity concerns was, was a moment. So you're going to see this convergence now of physical, cyber, as well as health security but who's that person? Is it a chief medical officer that now becomes that 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 security personnel? How does that fit in? And there's no right answer to say right now. Time will will allow for those positions to develop, predicated upon the 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 industry and the in the business in and itself. But I think it's really interesting that we have this new domain that we now know is so critical. Uh, you know, to to actually uh, sustain operations and build that resilient model into an organization. So let's let's just spend a few minutes talking about that governance piece. Just yesterday, actually, I was talking to the chief security officer of a very large global services organization, mm-hmm. and we were talking about the role of the CSO and how it's changed over time. And he was talking about a couple of themes that you hit on, John. He said, traditionally, those people may have come out of law enforcement or out of government and moved over. But that question about budgeting, which is essentially prioritization, which you teed up earlier, mm-hmm. is not something that was normally part of their sort of thinking back then because it wasn't required. And then he was talking about having to have this broader view, a, a health or medical view as, as well. So what are the characteristics or what what should be embodied in this person that should be sort of governing 
this this program within these organizations? What do they look like? But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tee up this one for Courtney, but I, I'll say say this: the traditional model of what it means to be a chief security officer has changed forever. And Courtney's gonna laugh at this because she hears me say this all the time. Gone are the days of guns, guards, and gates being the primary focus. <laughs> that is antiquated, uh, and it should never be brought up. Uh, this is now about risk management and strategy. And how do you implement risk management processes into a business operation? And that takes business acumen. Uh, so the, the role for the CSO is, is changing forever because they have to align their, their security strategies, be it cyber, physical, or health, to the overall business strategies of the organization. And that's going to be critically important. And that now brings a value proposition back to the role of the chief security officer. Rather than being just a cost center for the organization, you're actually a critical function because you're going to help sustain operations moving forward. But how to like, and there's a whole process that a CSO must undergo to understand that 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 business process. And you know, Courtney, I know knows yeah, so just uh, how before, to implement that. <laughs> yeah. So just so the guns, guards, and gates don't go away, but it's not enough, essentially. You're saying that you, somebody they're, needs they're to be responsible, but there's much more lifting your eyes up off the horizon. Yeah, they're, they're, those, I mean, those are still you know important functions, but there are other things that are just as or if not more important because um, th- those are processes that, that can be implemented very easily. Uh, what can't be implemented is understanding you know, how to really assess those risks that, in, in, you know, sorry, the threats that are facing your organization and the implementation of mitigation is tied into a business strategy. Um, think about like, like what we just went through with, with or are currently going through. It would be very easy for a chief security officer to say, all right, close all our facilities. Guess what? We stopped transmission within our in our ranks. We you know we're, we're able to completely isolate. But that doesn't work for everybody. That doesn't meet the business objectives. So how do you align your know, business necessity, business objectives with security policies and procedures? Yeah, Courtney, what's your perspective? So I mean, in terms of the guards, gates, and guns, and I actually had some notes written down, and I have gates, guards, and guns written right here. So I need mean, but, uh, um, you know, think about this for professional services organizations like ours who've been working from home for nine, 10 months, there's been no need for gates, guards and guns. It's been a completely different focus in terms of security issues. And so when John talks about, uh, you know, the role of the chief security officer, or the security professional changing, I'm going to say something really provocative. And I think, um, and not just because we're in this business, I think that the role of the chief security officer has been elevated to one of the most important in the executive suite uh, at, at corporations for all the reasons that John just mentioned. And, you know, just back to the point about if you're a professional services organization, you know, a bank, a consulting firm, you know, whatever it may be, and you're operating a business largely from home and you don't need those types of things. Uh, but think about all the other types of security measures that now uh, or security issues that are now on the plate of the chief security officer. Remember, having our employees move to a remote or work from home environment. Yes, we had to because of public health guidance and and offices were closed and all that stuff. But we did that to our employees. We asked them to do that. We facilitated and created an environment uh, to some degree where they could work from home by supplying them, you know, as companies could with tools and technology to be able to work from home. But we kind of forced that upon 
our employees. And so now we have to deal with the consequences of that. And that sounds a little bit harsh, but it, I want to put it into perspective in terms of we had to do that to our employees to remain productive to, and to run our businesses. But at the same time, that work from home situation has created all of these other issues potentially for people who are now at home with kids who have to be homeschooled. They may be taking care of parents or, uh, you know, or not able to do that so easily because they don't have a big space, especially if families have been, you know, like we do live in New York City and and your, your living space is much more confined than if you're living out in the suburbs. So you have all of these compounding issues now that are different from when people were just going to an office. And John mentioned uh, mental health issues and, and personal well-being. Now the chief security officer, has to think about and deal with these types of things. And how does he or she do that really effectively? They need to be working much more closely and in partnership with the chief human resources officer and the chief technology officer and the chief operating officer. So now where the chief security officer maybe traditionally was really focused over here in the corner on gates, guards, and guns, he or she now has to have these really strong partnerships where they're making decisions about their employees and they're making decisions about how to run the business together. And so for those reasons, I go back to saying that provocative statement that I think the chief security officer has been very much elevated. uh, And I think it's for it's for those reasons. That partnership um, is going to be critical uh, in in moving forward, because, you know, the news is despite the vaccine developments, I don't think that this work from home model is is going away anytime soon. No, and we and we see it where slowly at, at our company more. Some people are going out on the road. Some people are staying in the office, but that introduces a new risk, as you just described, right? How do I manage each of those risk pools and then that risk pool together if those people traveling need to come back in the office and co-locate? And of course, there's quarantining and whatnot, but that, that that's something that 18 months ago, we never even thought about, right? And, and I think it gets, according to, in the beginning, you were talking about this dynamicism, right? Where things are just changing so quickly and it might seem like you've got the situation today, but then in three months, something, some other variable comes in. You need to think about that variable and be able to react to it. And, mm-hmm. and that skill set as a CSO is certainly different than a traditional physical security oriented sort of CSO out there. And John um, used the word agile early on in 2020 internally when we were talking about kind of the buzzwords or what a, a CSO or a, a, you know, a really forward thinking executive is going to have to have inherent in their tool set or toolkit. And it's agile. I think, you know, we're seeing it all, you know, everybody's writing about resilience and agility is kind of like the focus for 2021, but I think it's true. And, um, you know, th- those have to be kind of core or inherent attributes of, of somebody managing security for for companies going forward. So we've talked about two, at least two things to focus on for next year. One is building this intelligence, information gathering, understanding, so you can understand what's happening in the environment and react to it. Another is around the CSO and governance. Mm -hmm. Um, What else? What other sort of big meaty sort of chunks should organizations think about putting in place as they want to plan for 2021? Do you want to talk a little bit about the continuity and resilience, you know, analysis that companies need to take uh, going forward. We spent a lot of time, uh, John and I, talking about the traditional way. I think companies have looked at risk identification, which is, can we put an inventory together of all the potential things that could happen to this company? Kind of the external looking in view. So all all the different potential natural disaster or man-made, you know, threats or whatever, um, and trying to come up with that complete inventory. And, And we talked about kind of flipping that model and looking inside you know, the organization first to, for risk identification. Interesting. John, tell yeah. us a little bit more about it. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's something that we, uh, again, we're taking a lot of lessons from 2020 and sort of the, the I, I don't want to necessarily call them missteps, but sort of missed opportunities that organizations had to, to really build a, a robust structure to address both the uh, acute shock of, of incidents, but also the, the long-term sustained issues that the organization faces. So when we, we look at you know, now when we go into organizations, we, we want to look across every business domain and understand, you know, how are they, how are they planning for a whole multitude of uh, incidents that, that could face the organization? And how is that specific business unit prepared to react and then continue and sustain operations, whether it's uh, from a, a remote standpoint, whether it's from uh, messaging to uh, you know external stakeholders, customers, or even internal employees? How are we going to uh, move forward through this crisis? And then making sure that all of those business units are, are aligned in uh, a common operating platform to maintain business. And what we saw very early on uh, with, with the coronavirus crisis is that even within uh, really well-defined organizations, you had some business units that were, were doing that, that were really prepared. But if they were reliant upon other business units that were not, the structure falls apart. So you have to bring alignment across all of your business units and, and, and ensure that all of them understand the, the threats that face the organization, the vulnerabilities that those threats are going to leverage, and how each business component is going to add to the mitigation. There, there is not one single point of failure, or there should not be one single point of failure in your resilience model. You should have overlapping uh, initiatives that that will allow you to maintain even if someone falls short a little bit. But the, the goal here is in your planning process to ensure that you're bringing uh, alignment across the entire business environment. As I listen to both you, Courtney and, and John, I mean, this isn't a project. This, this is a fundamental change to the way companies and organizations, right? Whether it's a performing arts location in Omaha or it's a Fortune 500 company headquartered in New York City. This isn't a project. This is a, this is needs to become embedded into how the organization works, um, how it thinks about risks going forward. And as you said, John, it's not, it's not just in one person's head. It has to go sort of business unit by business unit or organization by organization within the overall sort of bro broader company. I mean, th this is a big change. No, absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm stealing a line from, from our CEO, but this is a real seminal moment for, for organizations uh, to, to really redefine the way that they are managing risk within their enterprise, uh, because it, we're seeing the impact of not doing it. So the consequences are so great, and you have to, you know, redefine what that model is to sustain for the future. I, I want to just give two uh, a couple examples to pile onto that. You know, so we had we saw some clients, and and the, you know, it was widely reported in the media. Three interesting companies: New Balance, uh, Fanatics, and Bauer. Bauer makes hockey equipment. These companies, um, rather than let this pandemic completely shutter their business and shut them down, because for a period of time nobody was buying a bunch of sports equipment, um, people weren't going to be out on the you know the ice rinks playing hockey, and you know people weren't going to uh, baseball games and football games to buy 
you know, fan gear, these companies could have just said, well, that's it. And we're just going to shut down business and ride this out, maybe file for bankruptcy, hope for the best. They quickly pivoted and looked at all of their manufacturing equipment and figured out that we could retool it all to start making PPE. So these companies completely uh, transformed, well, not completely, but they transformed their manufacturing capabilities so that they could take advantage of the opportunity that the pandemic presented to them. And, you know, to some degree, I think that they figured that out as they went. But I think what that those stories will, uh, those lessons learned will teach other companies that we need to identify the ability to take a massive crisis or a disruption and figure out how we can quickly pivot to remain either, uh, you know, in business or prosper or grow and innovate on top of it. And uh, those those are my three favorite stories that came out of this year um, because those companies just, you know, figured out and, and didn't rest back or, or just, you know, figure out, we, if, you know, decide we have to just give up here. They really took the opportunity that this pandemic presented. And not only did they help frontline healthcare workers, but they were able to continue to uh, remain operational. And I think those are the types of things that businesses will hopefully think about and figure out how to, to remain agile and transform in the wake uh, of a crisis. Yeah. Oh, those are great examples. Those are great examples. So earlier, Courtney, when you're talking about your background, you talked about when you were in financial services in 08, how you know dramatic that was and coming out of it. Now that you've been in risk management, safety, security, do you feel similarly in terms of 2020 as it applies to the the magnitude of the change relative to sort of where things were a year or two ago? Yeah, and uh, you know, if, if I if I'm understanding your question correctly, I, you know, I I've had these career curveballs, so to speak, that have been thrown my way. September 11th was one of them. 2008, 2009. This certainly was one. Uh, I remember back in the early days when I was you know in my late 20s and financial services was moving from you know open outcry trading floor environment to fully electronic. That was another major transformational moment in financial services history. And uh, and I feel like this is another one of those uh, for the security industry. And I feel lucky that I have landed with this team uh, to be a part of that as we you know transition into whatever 2021 is going to look like. Interesting. It's quite a, quite a ride that you've had over the... Yeah. Over the- Couple last couple of decades. So let's just uh, one thing I want to touch upon is, um, and John, you you talked about it a little bit. I, I sort of highlighted it early on is just physical security. So yeah, we talked a lot about a CSO go, getting above sort of guards, guns, and gates. But you know, as people get back, right, and they'll get back to some degree, we've started to see some some more of these physical security events, these mass shootings. You know, as you look into twenty twenty one, John, you know, and you talked also about to the mental health. And, you know, there's certainly been an impact. I I think 2020 has had a major impact on mental health for a lot of people. What do you foresee in terms of the concern level around physical security threats as we look into 2021? Well, I think there's significant concern. I think that there are early indicators that we're going to go back in time a little bit and face the same problems that we we had before during 2019 and beforehand, uh, specific to hostile intruders. Workplace violence will be, be you know, as as we bring a workplace back together again, we will see incidents rise of or, uh, workplace violence. We are going to see as as the economy opens up, the public starts gathering once again. We are going to see. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we're going to see uh, incidents of uh, mass shootings, uh, active shooter situations, hostile intruders. Those things didn't go away. The pandemic didn't cure those crises. Those are going to persist 
and grow further into uh, 2021. So, but it, it's understanding those risks to the organization right now. And I think that risk managers have to be really smart on how they're deploying you know, new technology because we know this stuff is out there. How do they? How do you deploy new technology? How do you uh, build uh, uh, an awareness program to identify those threats threats early on, and then be able to respond quickly or even prevent them uh, in advance of them happening? So, one thing that I think that is is an advantage for CSOs and and uh, security risk practitioners is that because everything is now shifting and the model has now shifted, they have the opportunity to deploy a new uh, set of standards throughout their organization on how to manage those physical security risks. They can be uh, really unique. You don't have to go out and hire 15 guards to uh, secure a location. What about video analytics and, and other technologies that actually can be uh, be deployed? The, the utilization of data to drive the security decisions on where do I actually deploy uh, different types of technology predicated upon uh, threats. Don't make any assumptions because of the digital domain we live in. You don't have to make an assumption of whether or not this is is a, a what type of probability of this of event occurring. We have enough historical data from you know open source crime metrics from from police departments to uh, various uh, public sector data aggregation models around uh, risk. We have all of this stuff at our, our fingertips, and you now can put put forth very strategic planning in terms of, of mitigation instead of just defaulting to the guards, guns, and gates. I need two guys in the lobby. I need a rover outside. I need these these gates. And those things you know were good at the time, but we're living in a very dynamic threat environment that is constantly evolving and is completely unpredictable in terms of when an incident will occur. So you have to be really smart on how you deploy your mitigation now moving forward. Interesting. Courtney, I'm interested to, to, to hear your perspective. You've you've obviously spent a lot of your career applying technology to different industries, whether in financial services or at Accenture. I'm curious how you think about the role of technology in um, helping these organizations be resilient and mitigating risks. Thank you for asking, because uh, again, as John and I um, transitioned into 2021, we've got, you know, kind of four key themes that we will be talking with uh, our clients about and, and, you know, security professionals. But one of them is really the need for a digital transform- transformation initiative. Uh, you know, it, we're, we're not in an office anymore. We're away from each other. Um, manual processes are not going to work anymore. <laughs> and certainly not, um, uh, you know, certainly not in terms of compliance and management and oversight. So I think that um, a really, you know, a really strong security apparatus, security organization, um, and and model going forward is to digitize and automate all of those manual processes and start collecting more and more data um, in order to manage more effectively. So. Uh, we expect to see, and we will really advise our clients strongly, and really from that audit and compliance and potential litigation vantage point, it really behooves organizations to get off the manual processes, get rid of the paper, and and really move to a lot more automation. And we will look to uh, help clients identify uh, those opportunities and and transition to you know much more automated, uh, much more automated environment. But I think that's going to be a, a key component and dovetails nicely with what John was saying, just in terms of the data. Data is key. We all know that um, uh, it's it, it helps for much more effective management, and particularly in the in the security 
space. And I think, you know, gone are the days of walking around with a clipboard and, you know, signing off, you know, signing in, signing out, checking off that this and that was checked and, you know, uh, you know, putting your initials on it. That's, that's got to stop. And organizations who aren't moving towards that, you know, digitized model are behind. So this is, this is really interesting. And as, as before we wrap up, as you think about next year and some of next year's planning will help for 2022 as well, even though that seems like it's so far away, any other thoughts for leaders, for organizations in terms of what they should be thinking about that we haven't yet covered today? I would just reiterate the security professionals and and um, leaders within companies should really reassess their relationships and their partnerships, both internally uh, with their other business unit leads, because that partnership will be critical uh, to drive decision making. And frankly, you know, and I'm always coming at this from the security professional standpoint because of what we do, um, it really will will help the CSO or the head of security in the long run. And that's the internal relationships. And I think the external relationships are going to be just as important. Um, the ability to network with law enforcement, with intelligence agencies, with academia, whoever it is that can supply that type of inbound information to your organization to make decisions and to be in the know, I think will be important. And then, um, you know, just really the focus on making sure that you understand internal to your organization, what are the, the, the key assets that run the business and how can we make sure that we're always proactively identifying the threats to or you know the risk to those business assets uh, in development and deployment of business continuity planning. Um, I think if somebody you know put a gun to my head and said you know what what would you tell anyone you know to focus on next year? I think those are you know two really key components uh, to managing business and security. Interesting, John. Any any final thoughts from you? Yeah, I mean I think uh, moving forward, business leaders are, are going to be held to a a, a higher standard. They, they're going to be held to ensuring that there's an elevated standard of care for their employees. That is one key aspect of, of the health security programs is how you're taking care of your employees. And the way that your know, risk managers are, are going to be able to support senior leaders within the organization on uh, executing on that is, is building a, a new model that, that addresses the prevention, detection, and has a, a process built internally on how to mitigate those threats and vulnerabilities against you know against you know for the company. Uh, I think you know people who are listening to this are gonna be like this guy keeps saying the same thing over and over again around you know threat identification and in how threats you know, leverage vulnerabilities. But that's what it's all about moving forward. We cannot make any assumptions anymore about the the, the environment that we're operating in. You need to actually factually assess your operating environment to put forth the right mitigation that at the appropriate levels. Uh, to, you know, both for your customers, for your employees, and all key stakeholders around the organization. Yeah. So that, that's great, John. Let's get really tangible. And I think I think the, the question I ask is, what do they do Monday morning? So for those listening, you know, what do they do at their venue Monday morning? What might they start? What might they do differently? And then as individuals, as professionals, right, how might they change or develop Monday morning? So I'm interested in your perspective, uh, on that, of course, is Courtney's as well. Sure. Um, so Monday morning, individuals need to sit down at their desk and say, what does current state look like for us? What are we actually facing? That's one question that I ask my clients all the time. What are those threats that you're facing? When they start listing them, you say, well, that that's actually not really applicable to your your the environment that you're in or, or your business as a whole. So you have to factually understand what you're facing in current state and then build out the appropriate policies and procedures internally to provide this new holistic security model. And I think for the individual, you have to ask yourself, what don't I know? 
don't outrun your headlights. If you don't know something, learn how to do it. Um, you know, as Courtney said before, I mean, everybody back in you know February and March, all of a sudden had to become an epidemiologist overnight. But you you had to do that out of necessity. You had to understand what this new threat was and how do we learn everything we can about it as fast as possible to put forth the appropriate level of mitigation. And everyone should be you know constantly you know taking that as a reminder that we don't know everything. Um, and let, let's constantly continue to learn because threats never remain at rest. They're always evolving and we have to evolve with them to mitigate them. Courtney, what do you think? What should they focus on Monday morning, both for their venue and for themselves individually? I'm going to build on that a little bit because I think it's really important. It's the intelligence. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that became so overwhelming for us, for our clients uh, this year was, you know, every every distribution channel, every medium, every social media platform had an opinion, had a point of view, had an article, had a piece of information, had a, you know, set of public health guidance about this, you know, the, the, the pandemic and what to do about it. And it was truly overwhelming. And I think, you know, what I would say to the individual is, um, as you think about what matters for your business, whether you're in retail or manufacturing or energy or professional services, I would pick one or two associations or agencies that are specifically focused on your business. Credible um, agencies, sources of information, whether like, again, it's an association or it's a public health agency or, um, you know, a Harvard Business Review. I'm not advocating anything, but it just popped into my head. Pick a few very credible sources of intelligence and make yourself your own little customized kind of intel sourcing uh, and, and to, you know, kind of uh, capability and regularly check those sources for information uh, regarding your business and, and use those, you know, for your kind of own personal intelligence information building. And, and then don't worry about the rest. Uh, you know, again, if they're credible sources, that's all you need to as a starting point. But then I would say for you, as you know, for your own individual growth in Intel, that's that's one thing. But then for your organization or your venue, I would take a hard look at your um, your intelligence monitoring and alerting and reporting capability. And I think any organization, whether it's in your GSOC or your SOC or whoever is running that, um, I think that is going to be a critical differentiator in um, in making sure that your organization has Intel for credible sources that you are creating, you know, reporting and briefings off of that intelligence and, and spending some time and some effort and some funding on that. Again, there are hundreds and thousands of sources of information on whatever topic you need, but uh, there are ways to kind of narrow that down and customize that for your organization. And I think those, you know, for both venues, companies, and then individuals, I think Intel, you know, th those types of learnings will be key into next year. This has been tremendous. It's been such a tremendous hour. We we started by talking about what's happened in 2020, some of the things we had expected and a lot of things we didn't expect and and sort of what what does that translate into 2021? And what I heard from that is some of the factors are trans going to translate into 2021, whether it's the pandemic or security and public health, but there may be other things that emerge. And the, the real objective is to understand what's happening, this intelligence piece that, Courtney, you just spoke about so well, and then resiliency and agility to respond to it, right? And the, the loops in terms of getting the information, figuring out what to do and responding to it have to be tighter and tighter and tighter. And they don't just happen, right? We spent time talking about the CSO and the governance and how do you have a, somebody with the capability to do all of that and build an, an organization that, that has the capabilities to do it. Um, and then some frameworks, some ways to think about it. I think this idea of an inside out versus outside in perspective is really interesting. Don't start with everything that's sort of 
copied off of a, a Google search, right? Start thinking about your own organization. And John, what you said is put it through a filter, right? It's It should actually be hard to do. It's like writing a paper. It's relatively easy to write a five-page paper, but turning it into a one-page paper is much harder. And it means you have to think through it and be really, really clear and prioritize your thinking. And I think that's a tremendous uh, lesson for everybody out there in terms of how they think about it. And then some of the specific things to do to do on Monday. A, lo a lot of what I hear is gather the information, sort through it. You don't have to gather it from every place because a lot of the most important stuff bubbles up and start to think about within your organization and plan cross-functionally sort of how it would impact the organization and be ready for it. And whether that specific thing is what happens or something else happens, the muscle memory that you build about internalizing the information, developing a, developing a plan and reacting seems to be a lot of what, you know, both of you are talking about. That's very well said. I just summarized all the info, both of you. Hey, um, thank God you didn't do that at the beginning. This would have been a very short webinar. <laughs> <laughs> no, and hopefully everybody else has heard it as well. So Courtney and John, it's, it's great to get your insight. It's great to spend time with you. Um, I've always enjoyed talking to you. Uh, about sort of what you see out there. And I'm really happy that more people can benefit from that conversation. So thank you for sharing your perspective and, and insight. We really do appreciate it. Thanks Great. for having me. Thanks for having us. Great. And for everybody out there, I want to thank you for the work you're doing to keep people safe, to make their vi your visitors come back, whether it's visitors to your venue or employees to your workplace or kids going back to school. It's really hard. There's a lot of work. It's changing all the time, but we really do appreciate everything you're doing. And hopefully we gave you some ideas to think about, to think about Monday morning, to make your venues safer, better, and more resilient going forward. So thank you, uh, everybody, and have a great and healthy holiday. Take care.